Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining us, like always, is Steven Schleicher. Hello. Steven. How's it going, Zach? Oh, just fantastic. Awesome. And all the way across the country is Rodrigo Lopez. Oh, don't admit anything, Rodrigo. Uh, So this week we are doing The Wild Bunch. Yeah, Wild Bunch, uh, 1969 uh, American uh, Western, uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah, about a bunch of aging outlaws who are trying to do one last score so they can retire and do something else because they have to, quote, think beyond the gun, unquote. Yes. Yeah, so... This, what did you say, 63? 69. 69. Oh, jeez, yeah. way off. Um, what, what Westerns did, did we watch that were kind of around this area? Or is it kind of a fading out of the Western at this point in No, time? Westerns are still popular, and this is the reason why Peck and Paul wanted to do, um, uh, do this in the way that he did it, mm-hmm. was that he was very upset for two reasons. Number one, that people... Uh, when we look at movies like The Searchers, for example, which I believe is uh, several years uh, earlier, um, but when you look at something like The Searchers, he was like, well, this isn't this isn't really what it means to get shot. This is not mm-hmm. what it means to you know suffer any kind of violence. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was just about to come out uh, around the same time. Um, and um, Peckinpah was also very upset about what was going on with the Vietnam War and how, mm-hmm. at the time, the American media uh, television uh, was portraying uh, the Vietnam conflict of Vietnam war and not covering, you know, there's people dying over here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, between 67 and basically 1970, uh, the media started to have a big switch over, um, over how they portrayed the war. And by the time you got into the, um, what is it? The, uh, the Tet offensive. And I think that was like 68, 69. Um, the media had totally flipped their their view on what was going on with the Vietnam War and were really showing, you know, bodies right. you know, coming home, people, uh, civilians being shot and killed and all this kind of stuff. And so it really turned people's views on uh, the Vietnam War and started a lot of anti-protest, which uh, forced uh, Lyndon B. Johnson to start doing uh, major withdrawals and mm-hmm. then um, uh, Nixon after that. So Peckinpah comes in. He's like, look, I want to do a Western that really shows what it's like to be shot, what it what it's like to be an outlaw, to to have all these things happen. And so that's why he went forward with um, uh, The Wild Bunch. So if we look at it, we have right around the same time we have Magnificent Seven came out in 1960. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, as I said, was uh, 69. Uh, Shane was 63. Uh, so, yeah, those I mean, those aren't all the ones that are around that area, but uh, it kind of gives you some a, of the big ones, some of the big ones around right. that time. And um yeah, so if you think about some of the westerns that we have watched, a lot of them have not featured pr- prior to 1970. Mm-hmm. Have not featured a lot of overt violence. Uh, you know, we'd look at uh, High Noon for example. Right. There's I mean, if someone gets shot, they do that whole, you know, 20-minute stagger before they fall down dead. And um 
and that's not the way it, it is. And we see that today in, in, on mm-hmm. television, unfortunately, of what it's like for someone to be murdered or someone to be killed. And that's what Peck and Paul wanted to evoke in this in this movie. And we get it in the first you know five minutes of the film. Yeah, Rodrigo, this film starts off with a pretty big, bloody uh, battle scene and a shootout between these outlaws and these pseudo crime fighter guys who yeah, bounty hunters uh, yeah, bounty hunters um and there's a lot of blood and a lot of shooting deaths on both sides including a lot of civilians and it really starts this movie out with a tone that i really wasn't expecting from a western yeah no definitely it uh it really does feel like uh, much more of a war movie than it does a western right mm-hmm. um if like from looking at it and seeing this western kind of motif from the poster and the the any previews that you see it really you're kind of you might expect like a magnificent seven kind of story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it's not it's it's very different it's kind of like the the movie basically starts with a shootout and gets kind of the protagonist on the run and kind of at the slant where they're just kind of like always tumbling downhill and it just like they just never stand back up from that you know there's like just kind of like never uh, a real uh, moment of of rest for them yeah i mean and so there's a lot of things just even that first five minutes where you know you see these cavalrymen riding into this uh, texas town and they stop and they look down at all these kids and they're playing with fire ants and scorpions and they're just like think that it's uh, crazy fun and it, it's very disturbing on that sense mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. when you find out that these cavalry are really these robbers in disguise and they're robbing the bank and then a lot of violence where you're actually seeing people getting shot and the squibs and everything exploding suddenly if you think back to 1969 audiences this is not what they would expect mm. and it was um I was trying to see what the original rating was. I know that they were trying to edit it down for a rated R um, rating because they had changed the MPP or the MPAA had changed some of their ratings at the time. Um, Ironically, later in its re-release in the 1990s, it actually got an NC-17 rating from the MPAA for the Mm -hmm. re-release. And and they only added in 10 minutes of stuff that wasn't violence. Right. So if you think about all this bloodshed, especially at the end Mm -hmm. where they're where they've got the. uh, the guns and they're just blowing everybody up at this uh, uh, end of the line place. This is something that audiences probably were not seeing and probably were not accustomed to compound that with the Vietnam war stuff that's coming in. And this is something that resonates with a lot of audiences. And we would see from the late sixties through the seventies to about 77 and even beyond, I think you could even say into 85, probably uh, you really start to see more hardcore uh, violence mm-hmm. in your movies like the wild bunch or uh like you see in um uh deer hunter um uh, apocalypse now mm-hmm. all these other movies mm-hmm. that we've that we've watched that are a lot more violent and i think uh, a, a lot of it has to do with the wild bunch and, and peck and paw and uh, what really caught me off guard besides how much blood there was in that opening shoot off was how many civilians were caught in a crossfire yeah. or were just shot, which is not something we've seen in Westerns before. Everyone, it's a bystander, is completely safe. They're like hunkered down mm-hmm. inside of a shop or, or their home. Or maybe you see one person get shot. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's not very often that you have to see civilians scattered and running throughout the entire thing or the first person to die in a shootout mm-hmm. is a civilian. And that is a 
a, a motif that continues out through this course of this film, even to the very last shootout, mm-hmm. where there are just bystanders being gunned down. And uh, it confused me at first because you think these bounty hunters, at least they seem to be presented, at, at least their leader, as this hero that we might, we might follow throughout mm-hmm. the film. Um, but they don't really seem concerned that there's civilians there at all. They are just trying to go well, for their bounty. Part of it is if they don't get these guys now, they're going to get away. And unfortunately, this parade of um, um, teetotalers mm-hmm. is marching through town right at that time. And if they don't act, they're going to they're going to lose their money. And as we find out, a Deke Thornton who knows the gang because he was once part of it, he's the one that kind of knows how to handle this stuff. But all the rest of the b- b- uh, bounty hunters are just a little bit. Um, uh, loony, right? Uh, a little bit more concerned about the money than anything else, and I think that's why this starts on a different tone. Because um, I'm going to blank on his name, but what's the Pike Bishop William Holden's the, character? Yeah, the the guy who's like turned and has to catch him, the bounty oh, hunter, Deke. Yeah, yeah. Deke, yeah. Mm-hmm. He see, like, see, like if if he's being played by John Wayne, right? Right. And John Wayne and his little bunch are about ready to take down these criminals. If there's this troop of people through town. John Wayne's like smacking all of his guys to make sure they don't shoot anyone. Or right, they're right. like, we're just going to let him go and we're going to catch him because I'm right. John Wayne and I can have, I have a big fast horse. Mm-hmm. Instead, what Deacon and these guys do are they're just, they, the, um, they just throw a bank teller out and they just mow him down and then it's off to the races of just shooting everyone. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so it, for me, it just started off in a completely different tone than anything I think we've really watched in the Western genre well, back so, in that time. Right. And so when I said when we were looking at No Country for Old Men and how it was um, very violent and how it kind of is a, a different take on a Western from a number of different um, aspects, mm-hmm. this one, too, is a very different take on the Western. But I think you get the greatest appreciation from it if you remember that this is 1969 and you don't watch it with modern with modern knowledge of what film has become, right? Oh, sure. Because this film introduces a lot of uh, storytelling techniques that hadn't been done before, a lot of uh, shooting techniques that hadn't been, and a lot of editing techniques that had not been used before. But today it's super common, right? I mean, you can watch um, you can watch this scene where people are shooting each other, killing each other in um, uh, No Country for Old Men, where they're just killing each other in the streets, shooting mm-hmm. people left and right, and it's no big deal. But imagine 1969 seeing something like that, and you got to be like, "Holy cow! What is this movie that I've gotten myself into? Why did I bring my kids?" Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch the the Wild Bunch now because this movie, especially in editing, introduced a lot of things, or or really kind of like codified a lot of things. You know, more more most probably uh, most obviously that like super fast cut, like basically kind of like shot reverse shot of like people being shot you know it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. gun goes bang guy falls over cut back to the guy cut back to the corpse you know kind of mm-hmm. thing like uh that kind of thing uh and and it's actually now to the point where that has come back into style and then fallen out of style again mm-hmm. to where uh in movies we're kind of seeing these longer cuts of action um say like you're jason Bourne just beating the crap out of somebody um, with that kind of like shaky cam style, right? They're not right. just like cut back, cut back, cut back, cut back, cut back. We've actually now, uh, fashion has now moved back away from that and into like a slightly different style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's it's fascinating was the original cut 
this was all shot in Mexico. Uh, Peckinpah and his editor edited this in Mexico. The first opening scene, that whole them riding into town, the whole shootout, all that stuff, was 21 minutes. And they edited that down to five minutes, to the five-minute piece that we saw. And they did it by trimming out little bits and pieces, making the action faster, removing some of the longer <laughs> stuff that you normally would have seen mm-hmm. to add more to the confusion. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's really amazing about how much can be removed and still tell a coherent story here. 21 minutes would have been a very long shoot. Oh, it would have been. I mean, the movie's already 145 minutes <laughs> yeah. long. So, and I, and I would argue, and again, this is coming from a, you know someone with modern sensibilities, and mm-hmm. I think very much on record on Zach on film as like somebody who gets bored easily with action, like with like long scenes. <laughs> like that shootout already seemed too long to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, but on, on one level... I agree, but then I was watching it. And I was like, I would be fine if this is just, just the whole movie. It's just this one shoot, one continuously <laughs> long shootout. Because what they're doing technically was really interesting to watch. Like as we mentioned, um, you know, their editing techniques and their use of slow mo throughout mm-hmm. their battle scenes. Um, it was really interesting and to watch, especially coming from that time, like if this is like the Mad Max of shootout films, then let's just let's just go for it. 140 yeah. minutes of just shooting. Yeah, and really, I mean, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, they write off and they find find out that they robbed the bank for for nothing. The, that the Deke knew what they were going to do and had replaced all the money in the bank with um with washers. Yeah, which then in hindsight makes all that killing of the civilians oh, really yeah. worthless, right? Yeah. Which, again, if you're thinking about what Peckinpah is coming at from this uh, viewpoint of what's going on in the Vietnam War, look at all this senseless killing that's happening, right? And so they decide that they're going to do one more big score by going to work for this Mexican general who is fighting um, fighting the uh, Mexican army. And they agree to rob the American train of its um, artillery mm-hmm. in exchange for all of this gold. And it just goes downhill from there. I mean – They've got the bounty hunters after them. They've got the, the U.S. cavalry after them. They've got, um, uh, what's his name? Um, what's the Mexican general's name? Um, oh, Mapache, Mapache, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Who is actually a Mexican a Mexican director. Uh, well, he, yeah, he's a, he's like actually a very well-known actor in Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Th- This actually happens a lot. Like uh, Also, like Alfonso Arau is in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like the guy who did, uh, like water for chocolate. Right. Like, and he's just like, uh, he just like plays a bit part, I want to say. Um, but yeah, uh, also as a, as a side note, Mapache means raccoon. And ah, it's like, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. Also, I was like very confused at first. They're like, just one, they're like, who did this? Like just one word, Mapache. <laughs> and then everyone's and like, it's like Oh no, the raccoon. But also, like I thought, <laughs> I thought the guy was saying Apache, which so Apache, which is just Apache. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Like this is, I like, I don't know if the Apache made it all. Like we're around Mexico, but this will be an interesting thing if it's like, <laughs> yeah, like white cowboys versus Mexicans versus Indians. Like that's something you don't see all the time. And then it turned out it was just. Mexico. I totally thought that same thing. So they kept saying like, where? Are these Apache Indians going to come in? Like, what's yeah. happening? So, you know, Mapache is fighting Pancho Villa. And yeah. uh, Mapache also has 
the German military on his side. This takes place in 1913. So we have the introduction of the automobile. I mean, if you're on the East Coast, a lot is is radically different than what's going out on the West Coast, right? And so they even, at one point, when they get into Mapache's camp and the and he's riding around on a, an, an automobile, they stand there and go, I've heard of one of these. I've never seen it. I heard that this is a big deal out East. And so another thing that's happening is these guys are trying to come to grips with, like we saw in The Magnificent Seven, people who are running out of their time period, mm-hmm. who have just aged past where they right, feel most right. comfortable. And so they've got this big sense of betrayal going on. And of course, they're betraying themselves uh, in the fact that they're they're constantly infighting. One of their gang, uh, uh, the leader of their gang, uh, Pike Bishop, played by Will- William Holden, says repeatedly, hey, we never leave anybody behind. And yet they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he yep. gets... And the, the guy they leave behind is somebody who is totally against Mapache because he has murdered all the men in his village. Uh, he has stolen the girl that he loves, and he'll do anything to kill Mapache. Mm-hmm. And so not only then do you have Mapache's army going after these guys, the, uh, the uh, cavalry, the U.S. cavalry, the posse, you also have um, the... What is it? The underground, the gorillas um, that are also after this gang and the and the hardware that they've stolen. So it's like they are being attacked by all sides. And it is a very quickly from an audience's perspective, you realize that there is no out for these guys, that there Uh is no way they're going to win. Yes, they may have some happy moments, but in the end, they all show up at Mapache's camp and they just gun everybody down. And literally Mapache's army. Uh, the wild bunch, everybody is just murdered and have killed themselves at the end to where when Thornton rides in, the head of the bounty hunters, he's just like, I should have been here. I shouldn't have let you guys down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why Thornton is uh, is after them is because they've left him behind. They betrayed him. So it's it's a lot of betrayal going on in this in this movie, mm-hmm. which is which is sad, but it also again, if you're thinking about themes, is perfect for what is going on with American soldier in Vietnam. Yeah, and with Thornton writing in <clears throat> at the end, when I was reading about this film and how you mentioned earlier they cut, uh, I don't know, was it 12, 20 minutes, something like that, of the film after mm-hmm. it kind of first released. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes, what, yeah. Yeah, what they took out was all of these flashbacks between Pike and Thornton mm-hmm. that gave a basis for their relationship and how they were working together and then they got betrayed and, uh, you know, and then just the building up to where they are now. And so when I was l- reading about people who had watched that cut <laughs> with all of those scenes removed, it seemed very odd about... Um, there's just just gap holes between in relationships between these two characters that no one could really figure out, and then it was back mm. in, in the '90s right. when they put those scenes back in mm-hmm. that everyone's like, oh, well, this makes a whole lot more sense. Now, I did not watch. I watched whatever version was available on iTunes. There's two versions available. Yeah. I watched the um, U.S. second edition release, which is the 143 minutes. Yeah, that's the one that most audiences saw. Uh, there is a director's cut, which includes those other 10 minutes. I didn't watch that. Did oh, anybody you didn't? watch the director's? I was going I to, did. but then I was like, you know what? I think I probably <clears throat> ought to watch it from just what an audience perspective. Yeah, I watched be. on Amazon. That is the director's cut version. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's that's the one that I probably watched as well. Okay, yeah, cool. With all like the scenes of like them and him getting shot and arrested, Thornton getting yeah, shot Yeah, it's like all the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think in the one that I saw, there's only like one flashback of them arguing. Um, oh, yeah. Going into whatever gig they were going to go do before before it all went down. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Oh, no, it's it's the one where they're, he's making out with the women. 
Uh, yeah. And then the the um, the bounty hunters bust in and shoot Thornton mm-hmm. and uh, Deke, or they shoot Deacon and, and Thornton escapes. Yeah, no, Deke Thornton is one guy. I'm sorry. They, they shoot <laughs> Thornton and right. Bishop escapes. Bishop escapes. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's the part that I saw. So if there was other stuff There's, in there, I think two more uh, of okay. them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they could kind of fill in just a little bit. Cool. Um. So there was another thing we were talking about of this idea that these guys know that their time is coming to an end and what they're doing mm-hmm. is ending. They're kind of on the out and out. And uh, um, once you said 1969 again, I remember, you know, this film came out when we landed on the moon. Right. And so there is this, and then that made me think, well, there is this idea of this Western genre might be coming to an end because we have, you know, we're going to space now and all this mm-hmm. sci-fi is coming up. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm not completely familiar as you might be, of what was happening well, in Hollywood at this time, but it seems like that would be a big shift in mindsets and the stories people are about to start telling. Yeah, so if you think about what's going on, I mean, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey is, came out in 68, so it came out a year before this. So, you know, there is still this fascination with Westerns and people telling these kinds of stories. But Hollywood at this time period is still very much set on making all audience pictures, mm-hmm. pictures that appeal to everyone. And the studios have never really grasped what it means to create a niche, niche film. So when you look at, um, what is it, American Rider or... Um, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Which came out in um, uh, 69 as well. Easy Rider was a total mind trip. I mean, mm-hmm. we, uh, we've we talked, I think we talked about this on Zach on We've film, right? talked about it. We've never watched it. Oh, okay. Then we should watch that. Because of the way that things are being edited, the way the story is being told, it's got drugs, it's got, you know, uh, societal dropouts in this movie. The studios were like, what is this dumb movie? This is never going to do, never going to do anything. And mm-hmm. it makes a huge amount of money and huge audience reaction because it's a movie that audiences need. Just like The Wild Bunch is this commentary on what's going on with society. Hollywood at this time is not really interested in holding up a mirror to society. I mean, you see a little bits and pieces coming in. Bonnie and Clyde in 67, mm-hmm. I think, was when it came out, was an exception uh, with this incredible violence. But again, you have Warren Beatty and... Um, uh, I forgot the actress's name, uh, who are big stars. So there's a star attraction there. But when when you get into this, into this late 60s period, a lot of people are starting to go to film school, people who normally would not have gone to film school. And so this uh, time between 65 and 75 is the film school generation. And we kind of talked about this uh, last time on Zach on Film, where you have uh, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, all these people coming out, and they're looking up to people uh, that are um, that are making a lot of the of the big movies uh, at the time, mm-hmm. and they realize, uh, especially um, what's his name who did uh, uh, the Godfather. Uh, they're looking Coppola. up Coppola. They really look up to Coppola because Coppola is kind of encouraging them to do this kind of wild, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And these directors, these young directors, are basically like, "Hey, man, we want to make movies that don't appeal to mass audiences." We want to make movies that appeal to our audience. We want to make movies that appeal to, in your case, Zach, uh, people who are 20-something film lovers. And so we get a whole bunch of movies that come out during this time period uh, that's influenced by the French New Wave, Asian cinema, the auteur theory. Uh, We get uh, movies like... um, uh, We get... uh, 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 one Flew Over is the Cuckoo's Nest, The Godfather, Conversation, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. Mean Streets, Raging Bulls, all these movies that are just like 
we're looking at the antisocial anti-hero and we're uh, lifting them up to, you know, star status, something that audiences can sympathize with. And that's one of the problems that um, reviewers had with Wild Bunches. Why are we making these villains heroes? Why are we supposed to sympathize with them? Because that's mm-hmm. not what we're supposed to do. But audiences see this a totally different way. And so we really see this flip in the Hollywood system in the, in the late 60s and early 70s of, oh, it's okay to make these really dark, disturbing movies because that's what audiences want. That's apparently this whole reflection of society that, that these filmmakers are trying to do. Let's, let's capitalize on that and let's make a crap ton of movie, money, which they were doing. But then, as we see, audiences start to wear on that. I mean, still into the 80s, we have Rambo and we have uh, Die Hard and mm-hmm. those kinds of things, which are still dark uh, movies. Um, but then, by yeah, the but time, even I mean, even if you look at Die Hard, like, I at mean, at least he's a good guy, right? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. like pre- pretty much straight up a good guy, even mm-hmm. if somebody has a checkered past, <laughs> like as we move towards the like through the 80s and into the 90s, like it, you, we basically start getting guys who are heroic in the mm-hmm. movies, right? Because we hit a movie in 77 called Star Wars, which totally flipped it around and showed audiences that, yes, you can have a fun fantasy adventure again. And it doesn't always have to be dark and gritty and disturbing, which kind of plays onto that um, discussion we were having last week about um, I'm hoping that Warner Brothers is taking the Suicide Squad and taking these this three films that we've had and had very dark and we're moving to something mm-hmm. light and fun um, because it does kind of feel like even though David Harris like my age, he still feels like he's making movies for young right. moviegoers who are in a very dark and maybe sometimes disturbing place. It may not Suicide Squad as much as Warner Brothers wants it to be a mass appeal audience uh, movie is really not a mass appeal audience movie. It's a very niche, narrow audience movie. And I think with Wild Bunch, even though it did very, very well, I think it cost six million, made something like 11 million by the time it was done with its initial run, was successful. But I don't think the studios, Warner Brothers, looked at it and said, oh, this is something that's going to have a Mm -hmm. lot of mass appeal, Mm -hmm. especially with Peckinpah, who was already in a lot of trouble with... um, with creating some films that were not hits and also were covering topics that were not uh, all audience um, likable mm-hmm. topics. So, so there we go. In in this film, I even though we don't necessarily have a clear cut hero type figure, there mm-hmm. is some emotional pull I felt on you know, many of the cast that we get in this wild bunch. Of you kind of understand their stories. And have some feelings of emotions of, you know, when they get gunned down at the end. And and like sure. Steven said, we just watched uh, Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. which kind of mm-hmm. has this same feel of all oh, these bad guys are trying to do this maybe semi-good thing. Um, but I never felt really any, any emotional attachment to any character. Right. Many of us felt like that as we discussed last week. And so where does the Wild Bunch succeed in creating that sympathy for um, an anti-hero character where Suicide Squad failed? Now, I think it's just giving each character their time, um, which uh, Suicide Squad doesn't. I mean, so first off, this movie, I think, is literally twice as long as Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, especially true. This, yeah. this cut we saw. So that helps. It just gives you a lot more. And not that a long movie necessarily translates to better character development, but it does have more breathing room to do it. Um, And then, you know, it really just comes down to those character moments. You know, that thing where 
you know, you have your like kind of stoic boss who's like, you guys, we don't leave people behind except for we leave them behind. And then, you know, you have that scene where they start to laugh about the washers. They've already had their crisis moment where they're mm -hmm. like, oh, man, we did that. And then they all start laughing. And then, you know, Pike Bishop starts laughing, too. Right. He's right. not he's not this like one note character. He's a human being. And he you can see that he feels a lot of regret for his life. And he's basically motivated, like you can tell that he's motivated uh, or what motivates him throughout the movie. And uh, as you see him interact with other characters, he's not always consistent. You know, he's not like, this is a guy who always does this in mm -hmm. these situations. Mm -hmm. But that inconsistency feels real, you know, where he's like, if we stand here and bury this guy, we're going to get caught. Mm -hmm. And then later on, he's all about, you know, sticking together with the group. And it's like, well, at that point, it like it makes sense. It makes sense for him as a leader to push his people to do X, Y, or Z, you know. And for me, that's kind of where that emotion came from. And you know, everybody else plays very emotional characters too, especially the two brothers mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and Angel, right? Right. He's, uh, he's basically entirely driven by the fact that somebody quote unquote stole his girlfriend, even though she's just like, hey. I'm going to go hang out with this guy. Yeah. And like he basically all of his ter all the terrible decisions that character makes comes from this like weird sense of ownership on this girl who's not even that into him. Mm -hmm. I also <laughs> you mentioned how there was a lot of you know they had that nice laugh after the washers. I think mm -hmm. you could cut this movie down by 15 minutes if you just halved all of the scenes where everyone in the room is laughing. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly think there was like 10 minutes of just laughing in this film. I, I guess for me, I guess uh, I watched this again from a perspective of, okay, let's watch this as a fresh audience member. Mm -hmm. And I just, I didn't get really bored with it. There was a point when the two brothers got married or quote unquote got married yeah. to the, uh, to the uh, prostitute women and we're taking a bath in the in the wine casks. And I was like, okay, this is stuff that probably doesn't need to be here. And you could probably cut a lot of this out. Mm. But I really, for me, I didn't I didn't feel overly bored in this. Uh, there were times where I was like, okay, where are they going? Because I know that this is going to get very dark and even more disturbing as we go. Mm -hmm. But what is the process of getting there? And does this feel like a natural progression? Of course, it's a Western and you have chases and the chase scenes seem very long mm. because you're running through half of Mexico and Texas sure. to to get to to where they're going. So it, I don't know. To me, I it just never felt like it was uh, plotting. It just felt like there were sometimes. Yeah, you could have a little bit of trim, but yeah. not much in this case. And, and I think as loud because these the fight scenes were really loud. They, I think, handled quietness really well because when you think back to when they are actually stealing all of the arms off of that train that's a fairly long sequence with mm -hmm. no one making much noise mm -hmm. at all as they silently take apart this train right. and and steal all the arms from it and it's a really well done scene You're like oh these guys are kind of smart it really shows the incompetence of the military oh, yeah, another really subtle doing. another subtle jab at, at the at the u.s military mm -hmm. uh it's just it's very it's a well put together scene that that train train yeah passed. yeah and, and uh, you know it kind of reminded me of I don't know if they meant to do this in Breaking Bad where there's a scene when they steal all of this chemical oh yeah the yeah, train. That's, yeah yeah it's very 
feels a lot I would, like that. I would imagine if you go back and look at that as an influence, they would say, yes, the train mm-hmm. stealing scene from Wild Bunch was the direct influence of that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I was watching this going, what have I seen recently that does this exact same yeah. thing? Yeah. Right, they like come out from underneath the yes. bridge and uh-huh. take all the things. Like, yep. Yeah, it was really well done. Um, there was a lot of horses I thought probably died in this film. Hey, you're shooting in Mexico, so you're not falling under the uh, American Humane Society, yeah. right? And this is still a time where it's okay to, to pull a guy wire and trip a bunch of horses and break their necks. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just used to like, oh, this horse is going to fall. We're probably going to cut away so they don't have to like throw a horse to the ground. And it's like, no, it's, uh, there's going to be blood splattering out mm-hmm. of these people's shirts. And horses, I, I have to assume, broke legs and I'm did sure all there sorts were many, of things. I'm sure there were many I, horses that died. I'm, I would be surprised to find that there weren't actual injuries. There's a, there's a shot very or, or, or I'm sorry, human injuries. Mm-hmm. There's a shot very early on where a guy's on a horse and he's being shot from behind and like mm-hmm. down yeah. where mm-hmm. I'm like, they couldn't have zoomed in that far and you see him kick somebody and then uh, the, he moves the horse around and it's like, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what angle this could have been shot at where the camera guy didn't get trampled. Well, so that's one of the other things that they used in this film was they used extreme telephoto lenses and really zoomed in tight to compress that space and still keep everything in focus. And so there could be ways where, yeah, maybe the camera operator or maybe the camera itself was was uh, was broken or hurt. But it also could have just been that long lens. In, in yeah. some of those pieces. But yeah, there's a lot there. I can imagine. I was trying to look to, uh, for anything uh, regarding injuries on set, but I don't see anything and I don't really see anything regarding the um, uh, injury of horses. But I know that in this time period, it was still very acceptable to, okay, we want to kill 20 horses in this scene. Go right ahead. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of zooms, there sure are zooms in this movie. Oh, yes. That's the one Man. thing that I don't, that's the one thing All I don't like place. about new technology. I mean, we see this even with shaky cam stuff and with steady cam stuff, right? Yeah. Is where yep. suddenly this new technology comes into being and we see it with uh, Dirty Harry in what year was uh, the first Dirty Harry movie? Uh, what year did it come out? But, you know, the minute that um, people realize that they can use the zoom, they use it came out in 71. 71. Yeah, they use it in such a way that it's just super annoying and not mm-hmm. natural. And when we look at shaky cam, you see people that don't understand how to use shaky cam take it to ridiculous extremes. And even today when we don't, uh, it's not steady cam, but we have these um, uh, three-axis gimbals that basically you're holding a rig not attached to your body and you can do anything with it. I mm-hmm. mean, Movi and uh, um, what's the other company that puts them out? Um there's a, there's a bunch yeah. of companies that have these out there. Um, DJI has one oh, yeah, that's DJI really cool. And they have DJI even has a really cool film that's done in one take that's all shot with with their device. But now everybody wants to do it. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you have to realize that the technology that you're using is part of telling the story. And how you use that technology is conveying something and conveying meaning in this story, which a lot of people just forget because they think, oh, this looks cool. It is right. it is interesting because it you know you have you think of westerns and you think of these like long kind of lyrical shots right uh, and the zoom really works counter to that but uh, you know 
it's like the, the, have you guys seen the new uh trailer or the trailer for uh like what like the new king arthur movie yes that, that's like uh, guy, guy ritchie, ritchie yeah. does king arthur mm-hmm. um and it has the, those shots yeah it has it has those shots where like they like mount a camera on mm-hmm. the actor mm-hmm. so it's like oh, their yeah. face is in the middle of the frame and everything else is like shaking around because they're actually running mm-hmm. yeah it's um, it's totally, and you it's look at like, the trailer of that and you know it's a Guy Ritchie film because everything no, that absolutely. Guy Ritchie does, just like you can tell a Zack Snyder film, mm-hmm. you can tell a Guy Ritchie film and this movie just looks horrible. Yeah. It's, and I'm a Guy Ritchie I, fan. I, it is. It's weird because it's like, it's a period piece, quote mm-hmm. unquote, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, a, a terrible, like medieval nonsense uh, uh, setup, but also they're using these film techniques from basically train spotting right it's mm-hmm. like it's it, and it's just like weirdly jarring it's something that you don't associate with it and i can't say like you can't say that it's wrong because there's nothing you know there's no actual like movie playbook that tells you right. yes this is right and this is mm-hmm. wrong but you know that feeling you know that sudden like jarring feeling of like I thought I was watching a sword and sorcery mm-hmm. thing. And now here is this like, like shot, like, like uh smash cut, like flip pan kind mm-hmm. of thing of like somebody like, forget it. It's just, you know, it's just like, this really, <laughs> yeah. like really jarring set of techniques. Right. Which means that the technique isn't effective in that, in that storytelling. If it's taking you out of the picture, then it's not, I mean, it's, it shouldn't be there. And, right. But right. people still go into this idea of, oh, look, I can do this whip zoom or a whip pan or I can mount a camera on top of uh, someone uh, so that I can see uh, their face while everything moves around like we see in Pi and other places. But that doesn't mean that you should do it. Right. And that's one uh, thing is when you're choosing how you're telling your story, those things have to be taken into consideration. So, so interestingly, uh, in that situation, I would say like. It's not that new techniques don't work. I would say, and I think audiences and critics agree, that your fast, slow, fast, and 300, mm-hmm. like, that was effective. You know, yeah, to the, yeah. it, And it became popular to the point of parody, but right. in the movie, yeah. it's like, here's this ancient epic that is using this, like, very modern, very trendy technique, and it still works because it's kind of this, like, up-close, like, battle thing that you expect mm-hmm. could be experienced this way. You know, and I think that Zack Snyder may have pioneered that. I don't know because everything think, before that, maybe did. there were yeah. two ways to look at something before. You could go with the Guy Ritchie thing where everyone's suddenly running fast and then suddenly it freeze frames and he goes, hi, this is me. And things are yeah. about to get really crazy. And then, it, you know, the, then the film starts back up. And then you have the... Um, um, Gladiator movie with um, who was that? Russell Crowe. Uh, well, with Russell Crowe, but I was thinking the director. Where they intentionally oh, turn that a Ridley Scott? Yeah, I think Ridley that is Ridley Scott. Scott. Where they intentionally crank up the shutter speed mm-hmm. to where the violence looks super hyperactive, and so a lot of people were doing that in their fight, so that when you get to three hundred a few years later, you suddenly have this slowdown of the motion where you mm-hmm. really start to feel the impact of of those kinds of things. So yeah, I can see I can see all of that stuff, and I'm not saying that when you're shooting something in period piece that you have to do it in the way that they would have done it in that time period because sure. if this was 1913, <laughs> Wild Bunch would have been a silent movie. But I think that sometimes you have to evaluate technique and and realize, is this the technique that we want to use in this movie? Does it add right. to it or does it distract audiences from it as opposed to, hey, let's just use this because it's cool and it's trendy mm-hmm. and it's what all the kids like these days. Yeah, there is in – I'm torn – because I think they used – 
some POV shots in this, especially mm-hmm. when I think when Angel was getting like captured for the first time, where they go POV on him and he's like falling off his horse and right. like, the camera all tumbles right. and stuff. And you know that was something we really saw in on the waterfront like a decade mm-hmm. before this. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily a new technique, uh, and it's so different than the way the rest of the film is shot that it's kind of jarring. But there is this sense of well, it kind of works. But in the larger scheme of how they were doing this movie, and they only used it, I mean, once. I'm like, I don't know yeah. if it was the best use at all. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you have to try. I mean, sometimes you have to try things, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are some other things that I really liked of them putting, like, a really wide-angle lens right in the middle of all mm-hmm. these people running around as mm-hmm. shots are being fired that I thought was really was really good to show the nature of what these civilians are thinking and also kind of places you in the middle of this chaotic scene uh, that happens a couple times throughout the film. Um, what else do I have here? Um, slow-mo was something that I was really interested in, and I thought they used it in a good way. You pointed out, Rodrigo, a little bit ago, how they'll cut from guy shooting, guy dying, guy shooting, and I thought they used the slow-mo um, in this film well to kind of do that and to show how much action was happening while this one person was like falling off a bridge or dying mm-hmm. where they would really slow that down and then they would cut back to something still happening normal speed and then go back to this. Um, was that something we'd really seen before, slow motion before? It seems like it would not be a, a Well, I mean, really we have... We had Bonnie New and Clyde, thing. right? Where at the end, remember the scene where they're jumping out the car at the end and they're just getting riddled with bullets, how yeah. it's oh, really yeah, slow. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, all of a yeah. sudden it's super slow. And then all of a sudden it's like, pop, 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 yeah, pop, pop, yeah. as far as the editing goes, just rapid succession of them just being torn apart. Right. In um, later that same year, or I forget which came first. I'm pretty sure Wild Bunch came out before uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of uh, that same kind of thing going on where, um, especially at the end where, um, they're jumping out to fight. I think Pancho Villa's army and are getting uh, getting murdered. I mean, it also slows down to a to a freeze frame. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's been it is being used in this time period. Okay, is there anything that you didn't like that this movie did besides a bunch of zooms? Um, when you understand the greater message that's going on, it makes it a lot more fascinating. Otherwise, it feels like a shock treatment of the magnificent seven almost mm-hmm. uh that's kind of what it feels like yeah uh and so from that aspect it feels like a story that has been told before that doesn't need to be told before but then when you watch it you suddenly realize oh this is this is something else mm-hmm. and so i think that when people go in and think wild bunch and they see that there's seven or eight characters and they think oh this is just magnificent seven it's it's not mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of a a problem with the film is that i think too many people may equate the two or may say that Magnificent Seven is better than The Wild Bunch because it's got more well-known actors in it. Okay. Was there anything you didn't enjoy about this, Rodrigo? Um, I don't know. It honestly was a little slow at times. Really, that's it. And it's like, I, I get it. It's like that Western pacing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, now we are in this village and now we are in this next village and now we are planning things and now we are talking and now we are doing this stuff. And it's like, I feel like in a lot of movies you have this economy of like, we can do one thing, show you one thing visually while the characters talk about something else and it kind of like 
takes up that time and in the in this movie that wasn't there and i think that's a plus for some people it's this kind of like slow burn is like this uh you know increasing the stakes of of what's happening slowly but for me i there were times when it was like pretty difficult for like i had to like you know that thing where like you you have to hold one hand with the other hand because like my phone was coming up to my face like must mm-hmm. check social media no now uh, while i was watching it it just kind of a little slow for me at times yeah i can definitely feel that in certain scenes um would this plot line of um gang of bad guys gets hunted down by one of their own bad guys work for a potential suicide squad sequel oh sure that's all I was thinking the entire time. Well, like, they are, they are trying to remake Wild Bunch. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see a lot of this pop back up that we saw in Suicide Squad if they're able to get a remake off the ground. Uh, you know, if they did that, would the the punch of the movie still work? I don't think when, so. When we've been, I mean, unless know, over f- almost five decades later of just in ramping up violence, and we've been desensitized to yeah. it, unless they're taking the violence to a whole new level. I mean. Think about Quentin Tarantino when he came out with Pulp yeah. Fiction and how people reacted to the blood and the violence in, in that and in Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. That was a whole change in how we portray violence. You would have to have that exact same thing happen here. That would be like an NC-17 where or X rating where people's heads are literally being blown off if you're trying to go for that kind of a shock treatment. Mm-hmm. Problem is, I think they're, if they do remake it, it's just going to be like, hey, let's tell this. I mean, because we're getting the Magnificent Seven as a remake, sure. right? So, yep. hey, let's tell let's tell Wild Bunch as a remake because apparently Magnificent Seven will be fantastic. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, and especially since Speck and Paws was going for this realistic type of violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we go from more from what we have now, we cross into absurd land of mm-hmm. violence where they're literally no. swimming Suicide in. Squad, right? Well, well, yeah. Well, well, I mean, if you... It would be amazing if they did this. They're not going to, but if this movie is this expression of the Vietnam War and the desensitization, it would be interesting if they made the new Wild Bunch uh, a reflection of America's most more recent wars, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. you know anything from like Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom and all that stuff. You know, we've seen movies like that. You know, your Jarheads, your uh, the Hurt Locker, yeah, the Hurt Locker, yeah. Um, so something that follows that trend where like the characters aren't necessarily, uh, trying to get a a machine gun, an anachronistic (laughs) machine gun too, from Mm -hmm. what I understand, but maybe, you know, more concerned with like landmines or something like explosives of some sort, you know, where, where the, the ethos is not, here's us fighting this losing fight, but perhaps here's us invading this place that doesn't want us there. You know, that's kind of the, that's the sad boy uh, look at America's more recent conflicts, right? It's like not uh, not just necessarily charging into some place where we had no exit strategy, although that kind of happened too, but uh, kind of seeing the reaction coming from this pl- these places of like, maybe... Maybe we shouldn't have come here in the first place kind of stuff. Yeah, see, I think that angle would be something they could play on here, as Paul was alluding to the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. where the media did start showing a lot of the bloodshed and what was happening in that turn of it, where we're at a point now where it, the opposite is happening, where we don't show, you know... Um, people being hurt and maimed on our side or the, uh, the people we're right. fighting side where that's all controlled. 
And so we don't really have a societal outcry like we did then. Um, so that'd be interesting well, if so, they turn the tables and like, you know, this is what really is happening and that we're not really paying attention to. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, with with what was going on with Vietnam is the media, especially after the 10 offensive or when it was going on, even though it was a victory for the United States, the media had turned on the war. What we need to see something. I mean, I don't know if you could take the wild bunch and make it an allegory for um, current military conflict, but you could certainly make the wild bunch something that's an allegory for police um, oh. black youth violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yep. could certainly, you could certainly do that. And that would be a better allegory. Cause now that is something yeah. that's in our face. It's something that the media is starting to pay attention to. They're still not, they still haven't totally turned over and said, Hey, what the F is going on yet? They're starting to, but the fact that we're seeing more and more of it and there's more of an outcry for it. I think that is what, uh, if you're doing a wild bunch and trying to make an allegory for something modern, that is what you would probably try mm. to focus on. And you would need a very strong director yeah. uh, to do that. Um, I don't know. I think Spike Lee might be really good, but he might be he might be too dated to do something like that. I think there's probably better directors, younger directors, that may have a better take and a better reaction to uh, those kinds of things. The guy that's uh, the dope uh, director would probably yeah. be good. I was trying to think was the was the director who did Straight Outta Compton the one that did Fruitvale Station with Michael B. Jordan. Um, I can't remember what his name is, but I thought he was attached to one of those. That's we can look that up later. I don't know. Yeah, but that would be a good re- way to redo this. Unfortunately, the way they're going to do it is just a, a stock oh, it's western, be a straight up, yeah, straight yeah. up western. Yeah. Yeah. F. Gary Gray is straight up. <laughs> yeah, F. Gary Gray. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so when I started this movie, I wasn't completely into it, and then as the film went on, and by not into it, I mean, like, oh, we gotta watch another Western, uh, and, and, and the story, while the techniques I thought were interesting, I wasn't completely bought into this, um, but then by the end, I was like, oh, man, this movie is actually really good, and I was like, well, I'm just gonna start rewatching it again while I look some bunch of stuff up. Uh, before we record this stuff. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this film, especially the kind of the longer it went on. Mm-hmm. So going forward, I since we just finished Conan the movies, and this yeah. is kind of, and Suicide Squad was just kind of a, a, a weird stopgap. Yeah. Stop and now we're into um, the Wild Bunch and these Westerns. And, and really, 1969 is a really weird and interesting year for movies. I would propose between now and the end of September... We take a look at some of the most popular movies from 1969 and see how they stack up. And I would say we uh, uh, we started off next week with Easy Rider, which, again, is really counterculture film. Mm-hmm. It was the number one. It was the number three film that year. We follow that up by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. OK, to okay. kind of because, again, Wild Bunch was rushed, was uh, Warner Brothers really wanted to get that out ahead of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid so that they could. um capitalize on this anti-hero kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would suggest we look at that because that is a Hollywood movie if you're wanting to look and see what's going on in 69. Uh, then we look at... Um, then we look at Midnight Cowboy, which was the first X-rated film to ever oh, right. receive a, an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And then we... Um, I think that will pretty much take us... I think Once Upon a Time with the West, if you guys want a really, really oh, long Western. Lord have mercy. It's really, really good, though. <laughs> but it is it is super, 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 Isn't super that, long. Um, it's like seven and a half hours long. That's the same uh, guy who did. Yeah, that's Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone. 
And but it's really good. I mean, there, I mean, but there are parts of it, Rodrigo, if you hate a slow plotting <laughs> film, you can get up for like an hour and come back and the movie's still going on. And How long is that movie? Uh, it is. Oh, I don't see it here, like but it's, it's, it's like, it or feels like, like a it's, day off it, of work to watch this. It feels thing? like three and a half hours. Oh God. <laughs> I, and I think it may be, and I think it may be three and a half hours long. Wow. Uh, but it was the number 27th top grossing film of 1969. Wow, and I think there's some other there's some other movies in that. I mean, and, and if we wanted to stick with westerns in '69, we could certainly look at Paint Your Wagon, which is a another Hollywood movie, and it's a musical featuring Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin singing. Gotta paint your wagon. Gotta so paint was it now. six? Uh, and again, I'm not completely. You're I'm talking 69, about but is '69 comparable to like '99 when we had all of these? kind of game changing the matrix and all these kind of films come out where it kind of led us into this new thing of film uh, for a little bit. I don't know because I think if you were looking at the matrix, you would say that is this genre changing moment that everyone said, Oh, this is something I would equate a matrix to uh, star Wars as far as audience reaction to something. Yeah, but wasn't different. there like a bunch of stuff that came out in 99? I'd have to go. Yeah, 99, 99, the year that changed movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean with 69 though, you yeah. have the hippie movement. You've got the war movement. You've oh, got conservatives. Okay. I, I mean, you just have this total culture clash of ideas mm-hmm. finally erupting so, and people just going, ah, we've had enough. Blah. And then we see all of these movies that come out that are just like targeted towards these different groups or counterculture or just showing audience or the America's dissatisfaction with a lot of different things and how that is represented in film. So 69 is very, very interesting to look at uh, from the. As you said earlier, Hollywood's, you know, what Hollywood wants and what audiences want. And even in the theaters, they're clashing over themes and topics and ideas and what works and what doesn't work. And as far as Westerns go in 69, I'm counting one. Just in the top uh, films, two, three. Four films in 69 that are Westerns, Mm, just in just in the top grossing films. Now, that's not all films of 69 because there may be more. But uh, you've got that going for you. So, so top real quick, top grossing films in 1999. Uh, one, Star Wars Episode One. Mm-hmm. Oh, two, yeah. two, The Sixth Sense. Three, Toy Story Two. Four, The Matrix. Five, Tarzan. Oh man, so sequel, sequelitis. Yeah, Tarzan. that's where it starts. Man, yeah, dope soundtrack on Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, Phil yep. Collins. Yeah, but yeah. also American Beauty. Mm-hmm. I mean that that came out in '99. I say we do the summer. I say we wrap up our summer with a summer of '69 uh, movie movie marathon. I'm fine with that. I've always wanted to watch Easy Rider. Okay, it's Easy Rider next week. It stars uh, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Jack Nicholson is in this piece. Oh. It is uh, directed by uh, Dennis Hopper. And if you once you finish uh, watching this film and you say to yourself, "What drugs were they on?" the answer is all of them. All of the drugs. Um, so that's going to end it for this week. Um, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and you can uh, comment on this podcast posting page and uh, give your thoughts about The Wild Bunch and our discussion uh, for that film. And uh, I guess ramp yourself up for some 6911. Uh, <laughs> that was just way in my uh, mind. We're just going Lord. with it. <laughs> um, oh, that is just bad. Uh, while you're at Majorspoilers.com, uh, enjoy all of the great comic book news, movie news, and podcasts that you can enjoy before the next episode. And while you're there, click on that Amazon.com link where you can find everything that you need to go back to school 
or just buy probably a Blu-ray copy of Easy Rider so you can be ready for next week's episode. When you do that... oh. If you like this episode, yeah. be sure to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Spoilers. Every dollar that you contribute, no matter how small, no matter how large, you can contribute as little as you want or as, as much as you want. Um, everything goes right back into Major Spoilers and production of all of our shows and the website and everything that it takes to run this thing day after day. We've been doing it for 10 years, patreon.com slash Spoilers. Yeah, get on that. Head over to Patreon and do that. And so that's it for this week's episode. We'll see you next week with some more Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.